0: Still tag teaming with last week's message. And here Jesus speaking to his listening audience, and he says, And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. But men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth good, is that what it said? No, it didn't say good, did it? He that doeth what? Truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So we're going to weave this together, and actually this is only to create the context. The actual subject matter that we're going to delve into is in the book of Ephesians we're going to go there in just a few moments. But I want you to think back in your memory for just a moment. Last week, I preached to you the light of the world. A familiar phrase, especially around Christ- Christmas time. But I went through a little different lens. Certainly, Jesus is the light of the world. He said, as long as I'm in the world. But then the writer says, But ye, you, the body collectively, the body of Christ, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father. ...who is in heaven. Last week, the light of the world. Today, let that light shine. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God today. Let preaching come easy in this house. Father God, when I read about the weakness of men of old, how that out of weakness, when the power of God would come upon them... ...they would supernaturally be transformed. Today, there are a thousand thoughts swirling through my mind. And God, the difficulty of me to be able to fall into this vein of preaching... Father, some are carnal thoughts, some are good thoughts, some are parental thoughts, Father, whatever, but yet all has to be removed out of the way so that, Father, I can speak as the oracles of God, and I'm asking and professing publicly that the church family might pray with me, and if you have prepared my heart, I pray prepare the heart of the listener today. It's in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen, and you can be seated, and as you are seated, if you are following with your Bible then turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would, for just a moment of time. This is where we're going to pick up this dialogue. This is not an unfamiliar passage of Scripture to our church family because I have ministered from this multiple times. And oddly enough, I, us pastors are just like evangelists sometimes. Evangelists, when you follow them, when they go to churches, there are certain passages and sermons that they've preached previously that they're very familiar This particular passage is a very familiar passage to me personally as I've studied this out and sought for personal enlightenment, not just as a pastor or someone who's speaking to people, but for my own personal growth and maturity. And yet there are times in my study I find myself coming back to this particular passage. And when I began speaking last week about the light, I was trying to tag into this Uh, Christmas season the light of the world whatever I could do anything is a stimulus to bring our minds Subject to the word of God. I found myself in my studies going back to this familiar passage It's a journey that we're going to take we're going to dialogue It's going to be commentary added to the text. I won't give you great commentary in depth I hope it's great in effectiveness, but not necessarily in depth Sometimes as you've heard me say previously the preacher can just get in the way the truth lies in the text so here in Ephesians chapter number 4, there's a notable transition in this particular verse as we begin in 17, the 17th verse is where Paul begins. Not this narrative, he began this narrative by writing to both the bishops and deacons, the saints in light that are in the church at Ephesus. He's writing to a church that is primarily of Gentile background, though many times certainly in the first century, the church was founded in a synagogue oftentimes through the Ministry of the apostle as he went from community to community, but then as it spread and went into the Gentile community. Now, from this particular book, the book of Ephesians, we find some very famous passages of scripture as Paul is exhorting the Ephesians about the power of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross and that it tore down the middle wall of partition that separated Jew and Gentile as of commonwealth. Of faith a community of faith in Christ the Bible actually says in chapter number two that you and I are no longer listen to this very carefully strangers or foreigners to the commonwealth of Israel but we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God that's who we are we are privy to all covenant benefits all the covenant benefits that you can find historically as you read and search And Paul traces this throughout all of his writings, going all the way to the book of Romans, chapter number 11, where he uses the familiar phrase of the olive tree, the olive tree representing the Jewish root and the the lineage of faith beginning at Abraham. The unbelievers were broken off of branches. You and I were Gentiles, the wild olive tree grafted into the good olive tree. And in that passage, he said, we draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. And certainly there's a difference between the cultivated tree of Judaism and of the Jewish believer and the Gentile. The Jew had the moral teachings of the law. Even though they might have been estranged from the teachings of Christ, when they came to the knowledge of Christ, they still had the moral teachings and the disciplines of the law that had been deeply embedded in them. Paul is writing here in the 17th verse to the Gentile. And he begins to contrast that who they are now in Christ that your life, your lifestyle, who you are should look entirely... I mean, I'm telling you, when God saved you, when He wrought a marvelous work in your heart and your life, I'm telling you, He did so with a purpose in mind. That you would be changed from the inside out. That you would no longer be the same person. I get tired of all the excuses that we make today. Listen, those excuses have no merit in God's eyes. He's put something inside you that can produce change, and that's the power of His Holy Spirit, the revealed Word of God. And so here Paul says to the Gentiles, 17th verse, look at it. He said, I testify in the Lord, and you henceforth walk. Look at this. Don't walk as other Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. Paul uses this particular word, the futility, the vanity of your mind, the craziness of your mind. The, the schizophrenia, if you will, of your mind, of the way that you were before you were saved. Paul begins to cast light that the power of that redemptive work is going to leave you an entirely changed person. And so then he begins to establish a little bit of a dialogue, and he shows a contrast between the populace of people who have not received genuine regeneration. You and I believe today, as evangelical believers, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us right now. That God sent His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. That we've been re- made regenerate. I share people on many occasions just in, per- in just personal interaction. 1 Thessalonians 5 reveals the trichotomy of man. That we are spirit, soul, and body. And that our body will be redeemed at the coming of Christ. That our soul is being redeemed as we renew it and keep it uh, fresh in the word of God. But our spirit is alive right now to the glory of God. His spirit joins with my spirit and I learn to live and to function through the life of the Holy Spirit. But it differentiates me from those who have not received the indwelling Holy Spirit. For here Paul said that they have their understanding it's darkened. They don't have the light. Why? Because they are alienated from the life of God through through the ignorance that's in them. Let's go there today. Paul takes us into this dialogue. At first, it's a little bit light. It's more of a practical application, but in a moment, it gets very direct. Here, he's simply saying, let's see the contrast between those who have the life of God in them and those that do not have the life of God in them. There's a blindness in them because of the ignorance, because of their lack of knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then their heart and their mind is blinded. Verse number 19, he said that in past feelings they have given themselves over to lasciviousness i know that's not a word you use it's in the king new king james on the screen lewdness it simply means unbridled lust he said those who don't have the lightning or the enlightening ...of the mind and the spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said this is how their life is. This is who they are. He said so they're given over to lasciviousness or to lewdness. Then he said to uncleanness, which means moral impurity. And then he also used the term greediness or covetousness. And so this is not a full exhaustive list of what it means to live in the flesh in a carnal mind... Paul is just identifying just a few areas to create the contrast. I think the contrast is very important because we live in a culture today where we have even politicians say, well, we're all God's children. No, that's not the truth. I came to tell you the truth. You're not, we're not all God's children. You're either a child of God redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ or you're a child of the devil of darkness and you don't have the truth. And Jesus said, you are of your father the devil and his works will you do. He was a liar from the very beginning and no truth abode on the inside of him. And so it's a total untruth when we stand up as politicians or preachers and say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. There are two families, the family of God or the family of the disobedience is what Paul's going to use here. And just I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting, but that's all right, I'm used to that. Who being past have given themselves over to lasciviousness, uncleanness, and greediness. But look at this, but you have not so learned Christ. He said, but if you've learned Christ, your life should be totally different than what he just described. In verse number 21, he says, if you have heard of him, and you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Everybody say that with me right there. The truth is in the truth is in Jesus. We're gonna to get to that in just a moment. And so Paul is saying: if you are born again, if you're a child of God, if you have followed Christ, if you've got the, the truth of God on the in, inside of you, then a change has been worked. Verses 21 through 32 are some brief instructions that Paul gives personally to us as believers this again is not a full exhaustive list of every area of our life that's going to be shaped or molded by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit inside of us actually the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit affects every part of our being all that we are all that we aspire to be everything that we do our actions interactions and reactions should all be based upon the work of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of us Paul uses language like this you are not your own You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in both spirit and in body. Here Paul gives practical. I'm not afraid to talk about the practicality of the Christian faith. I know we hypersensitize things and hyperspiritualize things. But I'll tell you, it starts with just some basic tenets of faith and interacting amongst people and paul gives us a little so i don't mind even though i'm not really preaching a lot of depth about verses uh, 25 on but let's just read it just to say that we did today and he says so here's our my instruction paul is saying he said so you got to learn to put off the old man and you got to learn to put on the new man how many know that's an everyday occurrence Every day you have to learn to say my old, we call it theologically the old Adamic nature. The flesh, the fleshly appetites, the bodily appetites, my unregenerate mind, my carnal mind. I've got to put it off and I've got to put on the new man. I've got to purposely think differently, purposely talk differently. Purposely act differently. That's what Paul begins to say. He said in verse 23, it's be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, our old the old man is corrupt according to deceitful lust. My mind, when you think about the mind, the mind is both carnal. Paul said in chapter 8 of Romans, it needs to be mortified, which means to be put to death. But then there's a part of your mind that can be spiritually minded. Hello? And it can be renewed. So obviously, there's a part of my mind daily that I have to pull down those thoughts, those imaginations. So I can't let those resound between my ears, right? To have a negative, impure thought is not necessarily sin, but to meditate on it, to give place to it. So I'm in a constant mode of spiritual warfare, but not with the devil, but with oftentimes my own thoughts, and I'm bringing them subject to the knowledge of God. That's what Paul and be renewed. That's why if I had taken you to the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul said, the things that have virtue, the things that are praiseworthy, the things that are good, think on those things. We live in a generation when information is around you all the time. You know, in days gone by, if you wanted the news, you had to wait for a courier to bring it to you. Back in the old, old, old days, you can remember things like war breaking out. I remember a particular segment of the movie Sergeant York when the, the word got out finally to the, the backcountry folk in Tennessee that they declared war on Germany. Well, it took weeks for a word like that to get to a holler somewhere in Tennessee. And so, But, but as uh, technology has progressed, we went from taking weeks to days to hours to seconds, breaking news, everything's around you, information overload is happening to us. And Paul said, It's extremely important that you learn to keep your mind renewed spiritually. Think on the word of, thank God for the meditation on the word of the Lord. Thank God for the life. So Paul is teaching this. And so he says, Be put on the new man, for the new man is created in righteousness and what? True holiness. And then he gives practical. So let's look at the practical. Let's just get this. It's only about six verses. And it says, Put away lying. Hmm? Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Doesn't mean that you won't be angry. There's some things that make me mad. Jesus himself showed a righteous indignation, frustration with the religious leaders of his day and their uh, distorted hypocrisy. Just to be angry is not sin, but he said, and and do not go into wrath on that sin. Sin not, don't fall into sin. Don't let the sun go down. You got to dispose of it before you take it to bed, before you take it home, before you take it into the sanctity and the safety of the culture of your home. Process it, deal with it. Some things you got, you know, the old uh, adage was you got to leave it at the altar. Well, the altar's not just at the front of the church. Sometimes you got to leave some stuff at the altar of your car, of your house, or wherever. you got to leave it there. And you got to begin to process some things and let the Spirit of God to help you. He said, then God, give no place to the devil. Let's do something different in our culture today, in the spiritual culture of the church. Let's quit blaming everything on the devil. I knew you wouldn't shout me down right there. Very good, because we like to blame everything on the devil never on us. But at the same time that I say that, I don't want to be in pretense that there's not an evil spirit. they are not demonic spirits. The conclusion of this epistle, Paul gives us the greatest exhortation in all the Word of God about spiritual warfare. Let's learn to give no place to the devil. Paul's making this very particular to an individual, to a corporate body. And then he's speaking to us as as we progress in our faith. If you stole, then what's the answer? What's the, go to some type of doctor, get some type of medication for your, no, he just said, make a conscious decision. How hard can it be, right? Make a conscious, if I stole, then steal no more. I like that. That's just the plainness of the gospel. That's where God's got us as we grow in our faith. If you stole, well, steal no more. Rather, get a job. Well, hello, come on, somebody. Working with your hands, a thing that, which is good, that then you, as you grow in resources, you may have to give to those who are in need. Remember, Paul warned about greediness, covetousness, something that all of us have to guard ourselves from. So we have to see that as God blesses us, he blesses us to be a blessing to others. Not that we don't enjoy the fruits of blessing on our own homes and our lives, but be very careful and guard yourself. The greatest way to overcome greediness and covetousness is to be a giver. That's just the greatest way. Take what God's blessed you with and just give it away. Give it to somebody. I'll tell you what, God blesses conduits far greater than he does reservoirs. Well, I'll just keep on going right there. Let him that stole, steal no more. Then he said that you may have to give to him that need it. Verse 29, now this is where I know it'll be real quiet. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of you. How many of you know that the old adage was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me? That's not true. Words can cut and break and hurt that it may take a lifetime to be healed from. And here there's no excuse. Don't give me that excuse. I'm well, I'm just got I mean, I'm just slow. No I don't want to hear. You're a born again child of God. Get control of your tongue. Stop speaking words that tear people down, that break them down. How about you get up in the morning and say I'm going to build people up. I'm going to make the people around me feel better about themselves and better about their relationship with God than ever before because I'm going to sow a good word in their heart and life. That's what the Word of God says for us to do. That which is good to the use of edifying. That it do what? That it might minister grace to the hearer. Let's go on. And grieve not. Grieve not the Spirit of God. Where's the Spirit of God? Is He here? Is He here in the cosmos somewhere? Or is He not right here? In our own heart, joined to our spirit. Grieve not the spirit of God, for you're sealed into the day of redemption. And then Paul goes out with a flurry. Goes out like one of my sermons. He goes out with a flurry. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32. Let me tag with this real quickly. Dr. Brassfield, you remember several years ago when we did a teaching on marriage, and Dr. Brasfield did a segment of that marriage teaching for us, and he took us to this passage in Ephesians I've never forgot it because I had studied this passage many times in practical first person application to just my interaction with people in the church or if I worked out in the secular world. And Dr. Brasfield narrowed it and said, put this between a husband and a wife. How would your marriage be if in verse 32 you learn to be kind one to another? Hmm. Wow, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So we learn to rea- react and relate to one another, not just amongst each other, not just amongst the culture of the world in which we live, but also in the very narrow partitions of our family and home. Right, we learn to be loving and gracious, merciful and kind. Does that make sense here today to those that are right in front of us? And then Paul here, Paul then begins to shift this. I've got you on a journey. Are y'all with me out there in Radio Lamb? The word said, Let the light shine. Paul then starts a transition. Be ye therefore followers of God. Be a follower of God as what? As a child of God, right? And walk in love. How many know that's very important? How many important that, that you learn that love, there are th- th- three things that Paul summarized in 1 Corinthians 3 that remain: hope, faith, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Walk in love, as Christ has loved us, and he's given for himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet smelling savor. Tag team this with put on the new man. The new man. He's, and Paul used, he warned us of malice, which is hatred. He warned us of Of speaking negatively and tearing people down. And then now he's saying, walk in love, walk in grace, walk in humility, walk in kindness. And he uses Jesus as the example. He gave us the example. He was a sacrifice to God. He was a sweet-smelling savor, a flavor. And then in verse number 3, again, he really makes it personal and applicable. He speaks to the areas of our life that we all deal with. uh, Fornication, which means sexual sin. You can look this up in the original language. And there's sex outside of marriage. There's adultery. There's all different kinds from, from homosexuality. All along, this is summarized in this word, fornication. So Paul said, in fornication and all uncleanness, which in cleanness means moral impurity, and then covetousness or greediness, don't even let it be once named among you as become as saints. Don't tell me God didn't call us out. Come on, he called you out of darkness to be entirely different than the Gentiles who walk in the futility of their mind, who have their understanding darkened because of the ignorance that abides on the inside of them. It's a contrast. Paul's painted a powerful picture of contrast in chapters 4 and now into the 5th chapter. And then he even says, how about filthiness? Foolish talking, jesting, which is not convenient or it's not proper. So it's talking about the, the way you talk and act. And we hear people say, well, it's just locker room language. Well, no, you don't need no locker room language if you're a child of God. Right? You've got to get control of that. It's a complete readaption. It's a change of a different way of being here. And Paul challenges us. I even wrote it in my notes this way. Dirty mouth, dirty jokes, and crude commentary. Don't speak it. And if possible, don't watch it or listen to it. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean if it's not possible? Well, sometimes you can't control it because you're at Walmart or you're at a a grocery store, and, and that stuff's circulating all around you. But at the same time, when you can control it, when it's in your hand, come on now, when the remote's in your hand, you can make a decision and say, I don't want to put that junk inside me. I don't want to watch those movies or watch those shows that's going to degrade my spiritual appetite for God. Well, I'm gonna preach it anyhow. I felt the Holy Spirit right there. He gives me a little bump. It's a little bit of spiritual juice. About the time I know that I'm really getting on somebody's toes and in their business, I need a little bump from the Lord right then. And I've got because yeah, it's one thing to tell everybody it's about making I say, Pastor, that is so practical. They're not bigger fish. Yeah, there's bigger fish to fry, but you gotta start somewhere. It's gotta be wax on and wax off. You gotta get it all. Come on now, you gotta start with some personal disciplines. To cause your mind and your spirit to be holy before God. And it does affect you. Everything you're listening to, everything that you're watching, everything that's putting it inside you. And then you wonder why you're going around your house and you're bitter and you're hateful and you're saying sharp words. It's because you fed it into your spiritual consciousness. Make a decision in the name of Jesus because you're a child of God. Say, I don't want no part of it. I want to be different. So that I can glorify God. And so he goes on down. Verse number 5. Wait, let me. I didn't finish it. He said, actually, he said, how about just give God thanks? you got to say something. How about just say, I want to thank you, Jesus. And give him glory. I, isn't it amazing? Paul's a far greater preacher than all of us preachers combined. I've said it before. Us preachers get in the way a lot of times. If you'll just read the dialogue. Verse number 5. And this you know. And if you don't know, Paul's telling you. This is where we're going to begin to contrast and really narrow this. Look what he's saying here. No whoremonger, which, which again, same context, in the same Greek word of the original language, almost as that of fornication, which it means sexual immor- immorality and impurity in a broad sense, not just in a narrow sense like adultery. It's a broad sense of sexual immorality, nor unclean persons, nor covetous men, or idolaters have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So now remember, Paul, look at the sixth verse right here. This may be the most important thing we're gonna say today. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Vain words can come to us in our culture today in all types and forms. It can come not just from a failed preacher, but it can come from a politician. It can come from a uh, uh, a hollywood personality whose mind is blinded because of the ignorance that's in them it could come from a school teacher or a lecture at a college it could come from a parent or a friend or a co-worker vain words so that's why we thank god for the word of god we stand on the scripture sola scripture that's what we believe today paul here challenges us with this and he said let nobody deceive you with vain words because of these things because of sinful lifestyles The wrath of God cometh upon the children of what? Verse number 6. I told you earlier, and you didn't shout me down, but I said it anyhow. There are children of light, and there's children of disobedience. Everybody's not a child of God. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the division of mankind. Mankind is not divided by his gender. He's not divided by his color. But he is divided by what he believes. Because what he believes determines whether he or she is a child of God or a child of disobedience. Paul here said, be not, look at this, but let nobody deceive you because the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. We don't talk about it very much. We're talking about it on Wednesday nights as we conclude the purple book. But we believe in the judgment of God. Now, we struggle today to convey just who God is. Because what's happened is we went from the days gone by the church where we made God seem as if he, was, if he was so filled with anger and hatred towards mankind that he was waiting for somebody to make a mistake so that we could, or he could pronounce judgment on them. So we've swung the pendulum to the other side today and God's nothing more than Santa Claus waiting for you to write your letter so that he can show up in his sleigh and drop little gifts and presents. And and you hear me talk about that on the radio. But the reality is God is good, loving, kind, but he's also merciful and he's also holy. And at the same time, God's judgment has already fallen one time in particular. God's judgment fell during the days of the flood. Yes, absolutely. But God's mercy preserved one family. But God's judgment fell on the cross. That's exactly what it was. It was that Christ Jesus was what we call the propitiation. We were sinners. We all deserve sin. That's why I deserve the the sentence of our sin. Paul said in Romans 3, you have all sinned and are guilty before God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And those that have faith in Christ, we believe that our judgment was conferred upon Jesus Christ at the cross. And he suffered the wrath of God so that you and I would not suffer the wrath of God. But for those who are children of disobedience, Paul said in Romans 2, there's a day of wrath that's coming. There's still a day of wrath that's coming. Can I say that to you today as it falls on quietness here in the sanctuary? There's a day of wrath that's coming. And we want to be acutely aware of it. I don't know when the end of time is. I don't know when the consummation of all things. I don't know. There's no reason for you in the futility of your mind to try to put a date or a particular season. or I don't know. I have no idea whether Jesus will come before I finish this message. Whether he'll come tomorrow, next week, ten years from now, or a hundred years. And you can pretend because you read John Hagee's book that you know. No, you do not know. Nobody knows. But I can tell you. I can promise you one thing. He will come. He will come, and he will, the Bible says, that there will come the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so Paul here says in this passage of Scripture that there's a day of judgment that's coming. But let's go down a little bit farther, can we, for just a moment. I can't dwell on there too deeply today. I'm just simply drawing your attention to the distinction between the children of God and the children of disobedience. I wrote it in my notes this way. Oneness that has this understanding illuminated By the knowledge of God, it alters your entire personality. Another person, no matter how, it doesn't matter how educated they are, it doesn't matter in any sense, uh, if they are darkened to the knowledge of God, then they can't see things the way that you and I see them. Their whole perception has been deceived by the prince of the power of the air. So we can put something in front of them that we say, why can't you see They can't see because they're alienated. From the, light, from, the, from, the, from the light of God that you and I have and what we possess. And so in this passage, Paul is challenging and he's reminding us. Verse number 7, he said, We are not to be partakers with them or to be participants. Our faith in Christ demands that we live a distinct life. A distinct life from the children of disobedience. Verse number 8, let's read it down. He said, For you were sometimes darkness. Now let's begin to transition and bring this to a close, real quickly, because I'm going to read these last few verses of Scripture and I'm going to a, make a, a dialogue and a narrative with you here. And I've been preaching right at 30 minutes. So if you'll give me the final 10 minutes here today, we'll bring this to a close. It says here, But you were sometimes darkness. That's what we were. We were sometimes darkness. But now, this is who you are. If I can help you, any at all, male or female, rich or poor, black or white, makes no difference whatsoever, whether you are wealthy in this world's goods or whether you are just getting by week to week, if you are a born-again believer in Christ, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world because he has illuminated you through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember, the truth is in Jesus. Look at this. And so, therefore, because you're light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. You've been illuminated. The most brilliant man, woman, can be totally ignorant of the true knowledge of God because they're alienated from true fellowship with God because of that ignorance that's in them. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's what the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit? The work of the Spirit in your life is in all goodness, all righteousness, and all what? Say it with me, and all truth. Don't now catch that word. Don't, don't gravitate away from that word. Because we're going to tie this together in closing this message. That's the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a believer. Goodness, which means both inward and outward goodness. Righteousness, which means both right standing with God and right living. which uh, uh, We understand that. And then truth. There's a moral truth. There is a moral truth. There is a moral truth that God's committed to mankind. It's produced in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's illuminated unto us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse number 10, this revelation of truth will determine for you what is acceptable unto the Lord. The revelation of truth that God's given us will show us and that we can show what's acceptable unto the Lord. So let's read this on down. He said in verse number 11 or verse 10, prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? Whether expose or reprove it, correct? So here the Apostle Paul says, as a child of God, it is our both civic and Christian responsibility to be able to affirm even cultural choices that our culture makes. And that's why there's a constant cultural conflict, especially that has come to a a great uh, paramount in our time today. What we see in our, in our culture, and it's happened historically, if you read the, the age of the church, this is nothing new. But it's new in America, and that's why it's so tumultuous right now. It's tumultuous in America today for a child of God, unlike what it was 50 years ago. Because some things are coming to the head. Some things are coming to the surface that we've not dealt with in our past. And it's making life a little bit more difficult to be a Christian in our society today. Hello? We're having to be more guarded than ever before. But we're going to have to know what we believe and why we believe it. Why? Because we're called to not just sit in the four walls of our building and sing kumbaya. And to have our little children's church services and pat everybody on the back and thank God we're going to heaven. No, we're called to go out into the darkness and shine the illuminating light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the truth. So that every man, woman, boy, and girl can hear the truth of God. The truth of the Word of God. we got to challenge it. There is a battle. There is a cultural battle to suppress the truth. The enemy, does, the enemy is not afraid of good works. The enemy is not afraid of benevolent acts and merciful deeds. He's not afraid of that. But the thing that will cause the enemy to shut, to shut is the truth. The truth, and that's what we possess. Send out thy light and thy truth is what the psalmist said. And that's the cry of, I believe the Spirit of God. Because the reality is this. The truth is to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. Can I say that? Can I bring you as I close this message today into the reality of the challenges that we live in today to summarize this message and to bring it as personal as I can, even if I'm on borrowed time a little bit. I know we're at noon. Somebody's clock's already beeped. We have no p.m. service, so I need your full attention. We're closing this message out today, okay? This is my heartbeat. This is me as a pastor. I want to share this with you today, just real quickly. Is reproving judging? That's something you've got to learn and you've got to know. Because I'll tell you what, this little phrase will get in your mind. Well, judge not. Don't judge. See, that's what the world wants us to don't judge. But let me tell you, there's a difference between reproving and judging. Hello? I'm going to share with you what it means today because there's a right and a wrong. There's righteous, there are things that God affirms and things that God does not affirm. There's the things that God blesses both for the child of God and for the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience that God is saying this is sin and you need to know this is sin so that you can be convicted. Hello? Without, without the truth, no man will ever come under conviction. Right? Right? I mean, the reality is, is when that police officer stops you and you've been looking in that mirror of your mirror and there's those blue lights, the reason why that guilt comes on your heart and mind because you look down and your speedometer told you, the, told you the truth, right? And that's the reason your heart rate accelerated as much as your foot did on the gas pedal. And it's because you're going to try to talk him out of it, but you already know you're guilty because you looked down and you were exposed to the truth. The reason why we don't have conviction in the American church today is because we don't preach the truth, right? Because the truth will bring you, you're going to either hate it or love it, one or the other. You're going to either run to it and embrace it because you're like, God, I've got to have deliverance from this conviction that I feel in my heart, or you're going to be like Jesus said, you're going to run from the light and shun it because your deeds are evil. That's the truth of the gospel. And so is reproving, Judging. All things are reproved are exposed. Look at the 13th verse. All things that are made manifest are made manifest by what? By the light. By the light of. By the light of. Say it with me. The light. Don't be afraid of it. Everybody claims they've got it. Every religion claims it's got it. Every political party claims it's got it. Every Hollywood personality claims they know it. But the reality is the truth is in Jesus. Come on, it's in this word, and this is where it begins, and this is, we've got it. God gave it. He vested it into us, and now we have to be courageous enough to share it and to shine it. Here, I'll tell you what, let me tell you what judging is. If I, from a lifestyle of hypocrisy or personal sinfulness, shame or admonish someone for their sinful behavior, then that's judging. That's hypocritical, and it's judging. You better get your own act together first, brother. Hello, before you start telling everyone. But if I, in love, humility, grace, reveal the truth of the word as to what lifestyle choices are sinful, I'm reproving the darkness, and I'm not judging the sinner. And we've got to get a hold of this because there's much happening in the culture today, and the end is not yet in sight. Did you know the culture has shaped for us what is love? You Remember the old song? I shouldn't bring this up back when I was a kid. What's love got to do with it? You know, what's love got to do with it? The culture today, the culture today is defining what love is for you and I. I thought we ought to know what love is. We've received the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm closing the message. I know you say, well, Pastor, you say that about six times every week. I know that. I listen to my messages. I know I'm just trying to make you feel better about it. (laughs) Here's what the culture does. The love defined by the culture is affirming an individual and their lifestyle choices, even if that person's choices are sinful. Hmm. The culture demands our love to be an affirmation of their sinful lifestyle choices. But listen to the preacher today. But God's love, 1 Corinthians 13 and 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Hmm. Our call is to live carefully, not foolishly, and speak the truth. Joe said it earlier, open your mouth. The church has been silent for too long. You've got to know what you believe and why you believe it and be willing to speak it, speak the truth in love. Our call is to those who, look at verse 14, to those who sit in darkness, they're to arise from the dead and God will give them light. How many believe that? There are those, we read it in Isaiah, there are those that grope in darkness, but when the light comes, some will receive it and respond to the light. Truth illuminated, exposes, brings conviction, people can run to it it's one or the other we don't know it's up to god it's up to their response some are going to hate it and some are going to run to it we're simply called to shine it that's what we're called verses 15 through 17 to be wise to understand the time in which we live obviously i'm not going to finish this message in its entirety i have to tag team it for next week to conclude it to be to give it its full uh, application to your life and I'm going to do so, and I'm, so I'm going to close the message right now by just seeing this, this last passage, though, as I close. That's why Paul said, and I'll bring you into more enlightenment towards it next week. But Paul said, Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, that's how you keep your light shining. You stay full of the Holy Spirit, you stay filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we let our light. That's why if you, in your private devotion, pull your thoughts down and put on Jesus. Come on, in your private devotion. How many know private devotion is very, very important for you being who God's called you to be? So you get up in the morning, you spend a little time with Jesus. The old song said, just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. A little talk because the truth is in Jesus. I'll explain more about that next week. I'm going to hold that off because that's going to be deserving of a sermon entirely in itself. You get your personal devotion right. You put on the new man. Come on. He's renewed in righteousness and holiness and being sanctified daily. You get up in the morning and you say, I have a purpose, and that's to live a life for the glory of God, to be a bright and shining light, to speak good things, kind words. Come on, somebody. But all the while, I'm going to speak the truth. I've said it since I've been a pastor, and I'll say it again. I can speak the truth in love. I don't have to hate anybody. I don't have animosity, bitterness, or anger, or resentment, or malice, or any such thing to any person. But I'm still going to speak the truth of the Word of God. Because there's a conviction deep inside me that the only thing that can help you out of the darkness in which you're in is if I shine the light. That's the call of God. And that's the Word to you today. Let the light shine. Y'all stand up with me today as we we would. Let's let our heads be bowed and eyes closed in the name of the Lord today. I want to ask a simple question of you before I pray corporate with you. I'm going to culminate the message next week and take you into a deeper depth. Time restricted it today, but that's all right. If you're here today in the name of Jesus, it's wrong if I took this moment and I didn't and I let it pass and dissipate without giving you an opportunity. Maybe you've come to this house today because somebody invited you you came to this place and you'd heard about our church and but while you were here today your heart is accelerating there's a part of you that's frustrated at me there's a part of you that's aggravated and you're like no 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 but then there's a part of you that you're like you know that's right you know that's right that's the holy spirit whispering in your ear today god's calling you you're either a child of god Or you're a child of disobedience that's what the word of god says paul plainly defined it for us in the scriptures and then he said he said and don't let anybody through vain words rob you of this truth i don't i can't what other religions have said let me tell you jesus christ the way the truth and the life nobody comes to the father but by him if you're here today and you say pastor I want salvation. I need salvation. I want to be genuinely saved, born again, a child of God. I want to be understood in relation with, to, to the Father as a child of God, not a child of disobedience. Pastor, would you pray with me? I'll pray with you right where you're at today. Is there anyone here today that's got the courage to lift your hand? I'm looking, our church family is respectfully keeping their eyes closed and their heads bowed just because they want you to have Judgment Day honesty. They remember what it was like. They remember when their own heart was convicting them. They remember, and they're trying to give you this moment. Is there anyone here today? and say, Pastor, that's me. My heart's heavy today. My heart's heavy today. I feel the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I'm going to pray a closing prayer with you, and I'm going to bring this message to a much greater depth and conclusion next week. Who here today would say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me, right where I'm at today, that I let my light shine, that I let the light of truth God send it out, that I'll be courageous enough to stand for it, believe in it, and speak it, and declare it in love in every situation in my life. When I see your hands go up, surely hands will go up. Surely every person would raise their hand today. Let's take a moment, let's pray one for the other. Let's take a moment today. I didn't even bring the worship team, the musicians, nothing. It's not, uh, yeah, well, we lost that one. No, listen, this ain't about losing that love and feeling. This is about you and your faith being sharpened right now and saying, God, help me. Help me to know the truth and help me to walk in the truth. Isn't that what the Scripture says? Walk as children of light. Father, I pray over every man and over every woman. Every boy and girl could be under the sound of my voice. Every person that's genuinely born again. I pray according to Paul's instruction that they walk as children of light. That their understanding is no longer darkened but it's illuminated to the light of the truth. And I pray that you would so work in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, until they are who you've called them to be, they do what you've called them to do, they say what you call, called them to say, and that, God, that as you send them out into a darkened world, you send them out as light with the truth. I pray that prayer over my church family, and I bless each one. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. God bless you.